Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh, my goodness. goodness. Yeah. yeah, let's go. This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Now joining Spence and Gordon, here's radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. Show On 97.5-1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hey, David, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm good. I'm getting ready for the draft. Trying to figure out who we want. I haven't found my player yet. David, tell me what you know. What dir- Okay, so I'm just going to be the typical fan for a moment. The 12th pick, what are we doing? Go. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, the more I kind of see it break out, I would say I think the there might be a higher possibility of a trade. It's just I haven't found that player yet. Like I did with Lyles last year, or Rudy a few years ago, or even Rodney, where you say, "Yeah, that's the guy." Like that—that—that that, that, that is just not. I'm not seeing that anywhere. I've seen players I like. I've seen guys who I think could be good in this league. I've seen a few guys who I think could be maybe great, but also, wow, you're taking a huge quantum leap. Um, so I don't—I don't have a guy that has me excited yet. Uh, and maybe that's universal, and that it's very hard to trade to pick if if everybody else has the same feeling. When uh, so so there hasn't been the and I was going to ask you this question, but uh, looks like we know the answer to it. And I was going to ask you the name of the guy, but there there wasn't a Rudy Gobert workout that just blew everybody away. Well, I haven't been to every workout. Um, I've been to most of the workouts that I think matter. So in fairness, it's probably not fair to say that. And then the other thing that's going on this year, more so than ever before, and I think it has to do with the draft um, and the way the players are and how wide-ranging the players are in this draft. Last year was really clear kind of where the tiers and the brackets were, and this year it's not. And so players aren't willing to work out unless they're going up against what they view as players that are of similar value or higher. But nobody knows what that value or higher is. So every agent thinks his player is 14th or 15th, which means he won't work out against anybody that he thinks is below that, except for the fact that every agent thinks his player is that. So that it's impossible for Walt Perrin to schedule head-to-head workouts. Remember last year we had Trey Lyles work out against Miles Turner. Uh, we had Ruby Gobert work out against Gorgie Dang. You're just not getting those workouts this year because of the flux there is in the draft. A guy like DeJounte Murray has been mocked as at 10 in some places and 35 in others. So, you know, his agent's like, hey, he'll work out, he'll work out against guys, but it's got to be someone of comparable draft position. Well, you know, then who is that? That, that, that's probably Denzel Valentine, but it's really not. And Denzel Valentine's agent says, well, Murray's at 30. In that mock, we're not working out against him because he's not of equal value. So it's it's there haven't been those same head-to-head workouts also that we've had in years past. It's a little harder to tell what's going on. So, Dave, let me ask you this. If if 12, would it be packaged 
uh, if that's the next step for some sort of a trade that you would then uh, package with a current day jazz player, most likely one of the pieces of the corner, one of the pieces of the core that Dennis has spoken of to get this jazz to the next level. Or is that too far-fetched? Or are they going to spend money to help offset the needs they, they, they must bring in? I think that's a little far-fetched. Um, the idea that you're trading one of the, what I would think are six core guys with the pick and getting it a lot for it. I, I don't, I don't see that. Um, and I can't really come up with those scenarios where that takes place. I, I think what gets interesting is if there's, since so many coaching changes in the league, you know, is there a player on somebody's roster who they, that just doesn't match where they're going that we like that maybe you're willing to move the 12th pick for? I, I, I'm making stuff up, right? But would you, would you, and, and this gets really interesting. These are hard debates. So would you move the 12th pick for George Hill of Indiana, even though he only has one year left on his contract? Would you move the 12th pick for Trevor Ariza of Houston, who I think might have one or two years left on his contract? And remember, the value of a draft pick is higher than ever before because with the raised salary cap, if you can end up getting a rotation player out of draft pick, then you know he's only 2% of your salary cap. You can do what everyone's going to – the fact is the league's going to end up with – Every roster is going to be looking the same. It's going to be three players that are at their max based on where they are in their years, and then you're going to fill out the rest of your roster with twenty million dollars. That that's just going to that's basically what's been recently. It's going to be the same. And so if you can get a rotation player out of the draft that helps you fill that rotation with twenty out of the twenty million, that's as valuable a piece as there is. So trading a draft pick is a very hard thing to do right now. Mm. Well, and and at twelve, that's what you're hoping for is a rotational player anyway. So if you have a right. if you have a rotational player that you're you know that you have, why would you give up the twelve? I mean, why would you draft for the twelve when you've got a guy that is already a rotational player? You know, it's interesting. You know, you talk about you just can't find that guy. Uh, are you talking about finding the guy at twelve, or is there guys at maybe three, four, and five that the Jazz could possibly like? So I haven't dug in a lot, but the way the draft is feeling right now is that there's eight players that are in that are going to go in the top eight. What order is not clear, but the eight players seem to be. Now we thought this at this point last year, and then Willie Colley Stein jumped in, and that threw everything for a loop. Um, and so it only takes you know one thing to make something crazy happen. Uh, and then Justice Winslow slid a little bit, little bit further than we thought. But right now it feels like there's eight. So it's Simmons and Ingram, and then it's Bender and Murray and Chris and Brown, and I'm gonna now I'm forgetting, uh, but uh, Heald and Chris Dunn. So those are the eight, and it feels as though those eight are going. And then what happens after that's unclear. I mean, there's a scenario which I've walked through with a few people in the league where Jakob Pertl ends up at 12 for the Jazz. I think they have to take him if he's there. Um, there's, you know, Scal Labossier is kind of an unknown. Most people think he'll probably go in that 9, 10, 11, but there's some real question marks on him. So, Dave, did you uh, see Sabonis work out? I did not see Sabonis work out. I uh, was hoping to and did not did not make that work out. I'm just about to publish, though, a seven-minute video on Sabonis uh, that I just finished. Um, and we'll be actually should be up in, when we're done with this. I'll do the final uh, voiceover on it and then put it up on my David Locke 
uh, YouTube channel for everybody to watch. She's interesting. I, I'm not. He's a good example. Let's see what's on him for a second, if you don't mind. Demonis Sabonis. He's six ten. He has no reach. Okay, so he's not a seven foot center in any way, shape, or form, and he's not going to be a rim protector. His wingspan is just too small. And so then he's a great post player. He's a solid post defender. His 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 effort level is insane. His engine is superb. But you know what? Like I know he's a good post player. But when was the last time you watched him post up in the NBA? When was and then when was the last time he had to defend someone in the post? So what he's really got to do is he's he's probably a four. So he's got to defend at six ten out on the floor and in space. And I don't know. I'm not certain he can do that. I'm not certain at all he can do that. And then he's probably got to be able to shoot really, really well. And I actually think there's inklings that he can do that. And that's what makes him interesting. Um, And he's not bad off the dribble. And I saw a few plays where he bounced and then passed, which is a really unique skill. It's what I loved about Trey Lyles. Um, But he's a four. I mean, he's not a five. He's a four. And he reminds me a lot of Cody Zeller when he came out of Indiana that you're you're watching this guy in college and he's not doing a single thing in college he's going to do in the NBA. And you're trying to figure out whether he can change his game when he gets to the NBA. Um, so that'll, that'll be really interesting to see on him. But I like him. He's got a great engine. He can pass the ball. He's not his dad. Don't misunderstand. He's not the greatest passer in the history of the big men. He's an okay passer. He makes the right pass. He's controlled passer, but he's not special. Uh, but I don't know he can defend. I don't, I don't know that he can really be a consistent shooter. It's a long time for that release to get off. And that's kind of where I am on these guys. If we draft him, I'd get it. I'd like him. I understand it. He's, he's a nice player. But it's not like when I saw Trey Lyles last year and was just in love with him from the minute I saw him. Like, oh, my God, when he – you know, he's the opposite. Lyles was the one who you're watching him in college thinking, oh, my gosh, if you let him play the NBA game, he might be terrific. The one guy I feel that way a little bit about is Wade Baldwin. Wade, But he's got pro- there's issues with him, um, some personality issues at Vanderbilt that are questionable. His teammate interaction didn't look good to me. I've heard some stories about him being really rough on his teammates. Uh, there, he's even admitted to some people that he probably watched too much Westbrook and Kobe and thought that's how you interacted with teammates. Uh, but he's interesting to me because when he's the one who I watched in the collegiate game and thought, wow, if you gave him space in a pro game, he might be even better. You sent out a tweet last night that made me chuckle. I thought this was funny. Watching Sabonis, third game of the year versus Washington, really hard time controlling rebounds versus athletes. Did he get better or competition worse? That was subtle, but that was well done on your part. Well, the problem is that he doesn't have any vertical jump, and even when you watch him jump, he's really he reminds me a little bit of Costa. When we first had Kufis, he had to kind of coil the jump, and Sabonis is that way. So he's a tippy-toe, arms-up guy. So if there's any athletes around him, he's not getting the ball. I, I, I know that the number one rule, and Kevin Pelton told me this a million times with stats, is that rebounding translates to the NBA, and I think effort, that's an effort thing. But I, I'm not convinced that Sabonis' rebounding is going to transfer the NBA the same way because when I watched him in going for rebounds around athletic guys, he can't, he's not getting above them. And so if any of them get above him, he, he can't do anything about it. They're going to tip the ball away from him. Uh, he, he does, though, control his own space. That's a, that's a kind of a new way I'm watching things is, uh, certain players are, are strong enough and have a presence about them that they control their own space. And I think he really does. The kid I haven't watched yet is the kid who's coming in tomorrow. 
Deontay Davis, I, he might be really interesting. Uh, he might be the guy I, I fall for. Uh, there, I'm getting some murmurs around that, that people really like him. Hey, Dave, before we cut you loose, let me ask you this. This is a quote from Dennis Lindsley, Lindsley, and you've heard it before, too. We cannot be in perpetual rebuild. And that means, again, you just cannot continue to add youth. And my, I mean, I'm defining this as sooner than later, those players have to grow and grow into professionals. And that means Favors and, and Hayward are in, into their seventh year just around the corner. So to take that to the next level, if, if we're not, if the Jazz are not going to be in perpetual rebuild and do find their way into the NBA, in your mind, is that through trade? Is that through overspending with the 25 to 26 million the Jazz have? How do you get out of perpetual rebuild? I, I'm, this is, I know we're short on time because I screwed up, but I talked about this on my Locked on Jazz podcast today. So I, I want to bring this up because I, this is the thing that's most intriguing to me about the Jazz right now. I think that De- Dennis Lindsay has built a safety net in Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, Trey Lyles, and Rudy Gobert. If all fails, you could, and Dante turns out to be good, you could rebuild this franchise pretty quickly again. I know we never haven't made the playoffs yet, so I, I got that that sounds absurd to do it again. With Exum, Hood, Lyles, and Gobert. With that said, I would be more willing to trade the 12th pick. I would be more willing to move. There's a feeling you can't move Alec Burks because if Gordon Hayward leaves, then you're screwed. I kind of think if Gordon Hayward leaves, you're screwed. And so then you start the Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, Trey Lyles, Rudy Gobert world. I feel like what that means to me when I hear Dennis say that is, and because Dennis has done such a brilliant job of safety netting the franchise with those four guys, I would throw. I would maybe be more willing to trade a 12th pick, even though you hope to never be in this position in the draft again. I would be more willing to trade some guys than I would be in the few, otherwise, if other but not those four, and or acquire a player or sign a one-year, twenty million dollar player who's probably only worth 12, or do some things and 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 have multiple guys, Hayward, two or three guys you just signed that are all free agents at the end of next year because you, you push the chips in right now, and then if Hayward leaves and you deem you don't like the other guys, then you come back, you probably trade favors at that point, and you come back with an Exum Hood, Lyles, Gobert, and it's the next generation, and then you, you kind of call this one a, a, a no good, that it didn't, that it didn't come together, uh, is a little bit of my thought on where we are as a franchise. Uh, I'm, that, that's easy, much easier for me to say when I'm not in the chair but I think Dennis has done a brilliant job that's positioned us in a way that he can take some really risky ventures. And because of Exum, Hood, Lyles, and Gobert being a, a pretty above-average core to then rebuild with if he has to, he's not uh, – I, I don't think they're as risky as they would be otherwise. They're incredibly risky if you don't have those four guys. But I might be willing to go sign a bunch of guys on one-year deals or sign Eric Gordon to a one-year $18 million deal on the hope that he clicks in uh, back to the way he was with the Clippers or healthy when he was with the Pelicans and, and really go for that 55-win season. And then if Hayward wants to stay, then I figure out which of those pieces, back to what I said before, which are going to be my three max players and which are going to be the guys that fit around another $20 million and build from there. And, uh, Craig, congratulations your event. Just incredible. The work you do for the uh, breast cancer awareness and then to get people those mammograms, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see every year. I, I, I just, I you know, you're my... You're my model. You're you're incredible at that stuff. Luck, thanks. Nice nice words. I appreciate them.
See you, David. Hey, buddy. Big thanks to David Locke. If you missed any of that conversation or uh, Trevor Riley earlier in the show, it's all up on the website, 1280thezone.com. Craig Bullerjack, Scott Gerard, this is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out quality parts helpful people that's napa know-how napa know-how at participating napa auto parts stores while supplies last minimum three items exclusions apply offer ends 10 31 17